Hey guys, so for this episode, getting in contact with us might be kind of important. So if you want to do that, you can tweet us at at Confessions HSBT. You could also follow us on Instagram, where our handle is Confessions HSBT. And uh, dialogue with us, interact with us uh, on Facebook. Um, and on Facebook, either you can search us on Facebook or you can go to facebook.com slash chsbt. Um, and the reason this might be important for this episode is because we will be sort of discussing, not sort of discussing, we'll be talking about the idea of doubt. Um, and so if there have been some questions um, or some, I guess, difficult ideas um, that you have had to struggle with with your students, or if you have some doubts or ideas that you need to work through yourself, um, I think that those would be some great places to get a conversation started. Perfect. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. You are listening to Confessions of a High School Bible Teacher. Hey everybody, this is Christopher Seals, and across from me is... Wayne Randolph. Yeah, right. Yep. Hmm. Let's do this. Hey, have you ever seen the movie The Matrix? <laughs> yeah, I show it in class. Why do you show it in class? Why? Because it's a great movie. Is it your um, military armaments class in how to shoot people? Yeah, how to, how to destroy people and all their philosophical worldviews. Hmm. That's good. Uh, yeah, no, it, uh, it fits into some of the worldview stuff. It's pretty fun. Have you ever in your youth wondered if <clears throat> you were just dreaming or if like you're actually in reality? Dude, I don't know if this is a good way to start a, a podcast because I could talk about three hours. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's actually the story of my life. I, I guarantee just, you. I what? just incepted you. Oh, I'm already in? Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever um, like look over your shoulder looking for like camera crews? No, I figured if I was if <laughs> that, I was that peculiar? if I was looking over my shoulder, it would be like too predictable, mm. and so and then they would know that I was onto them. So, so more more Truman Show. Yeah, I would just play it cool, and like you know, look out of the corner of my eyes and say, "I know what you're doing." There was a movie. Remember, I'm a, a, a little bit older than you. There, there was a movie. I think it was back from the '70s. Um, and it, it had to do something with the afterlife or whatever. But there was this like room. That in the afterlife, you went and kind of watched the movie of your life. Mm. And that idea always stuck with me. Like, what is, what is my movie going to be like? What, what part of the movie am I in? Yeah. Where are they filming? Yeah. Yeah. That freaks me out, dude. Yeah. It messes with me. Huh. Well, um, <laughs> I'm not sure that everybody knows this out there, but The Matrix is an ultimate ripoff. It's about, what, like 300 years late um, after our homie. Rene Descartes, I believe oh. that's how you pronounce it, Descartes. Yeah. Just joking. My wife's middle name is Rene. I always tripped on that, that his, his name was Rene. That's funny. Yeah. Well, well yeah, Rene Descartes. Talked Rene about Descartes, um, he uh, was this ultimate skeptic, right? And he right. said, let's be skeptical of everything, um, all the way down to maybe the external world doesn't even exist. Um, maybe the external world is just um, our brains are in a jar, um, well, I guess I think his version of it was that we are, are it's demons playing games in a, in a brain. It could be like going in and out. Right. Yeah. Um, and he, I mean, he has that one like real famous line to, to refute the skeptic though, right? Like he, like he kind of comes to the conclusion. I think. Yeah. I therefore, think, therefore I am. I am. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so ultimately, no matter who you are, um, doubt um, 
like you can doubt virtually everything yeah. in life. It's even right? um, it's it's even trendy. Yeah, it is kind of yeah. trendy. And I, I, mean, I, I guess trendy might be be a little like lofty. Like it, it's it is popular right now. Right. Right. I mean, it's it is a part of our culture right now to to doubt and and deconstruct and. Right, and then we have guys. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> we have theologians like uh, Peter Rollins running around yeah. saying, "To believe is human, to doubt is divine." Um, try, that was good. That was good. I can't do he's, it again. So he's, so he's from South Africa, or or he's Irish? I don't <laughs> I'm know. Just kidding. I'm Filipino. I can't say things. Yeah. Um, but either way, like this idea of of doubt is one that surfaces a lot. Um, in my class and maybe not directly addressed, but usually in the form of questions like, <laughs> how do we know yeah. blank? And as Bible teachers, like how do we know blank um, opens a, a, a huge can of worms, right? right. Yeah. Right. Even, even the field of epistemology, mm. the, the study of how we know what we know, the study of knowledge. That's how we use matrix in my class. Is, <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like, even with that, there are a lot of things that, in that sort of conversation, one of the things that surfaces is the fact that we kind of can't know. Yep. Right? There's a lot of things that we are unable to know. Right. Um, and so with, with that ounce of, I guess, I guess with the humility that comes with that sort of statement, um, I, that's usually how I choose to start conversations with students mm. um, about their doubts. Mm. Um, and so hopefully, like in talking about doubt, some of the things we want to talk about is not just like, what does it mean if a student is doubting God or doubting yeah. the authority of scripture or doubting this or that? But also like, what if they're doubting the goodness of God? Yeah. What yeah. if, what if yeah. they doubt existentially themselves um, and if they have meaning or purpose mm. or any of those things? Um, I, I almost, there's almost like a weird cultural meme going on at our school <laughs> where I feel like there's a lot of people who are like, I'm, I'm, Christ, I'm a Christian, but I don't live enough like it. And so I doubt I'm even a Christian, right? Yeah. Um, and so... How do we Dude, deal? What a what a like mind wrestling match for yeah. for a teenager to be stuck in right. that in that spot mm-hmm. uh, and and feeling alone, right? That I mean, that seems that that comes with it. Um, that uh, especially in a culture like this, where everybody around you um, is at least professing, uh, you know, outwardly their outer man or, or or woman that they're they're working on is professing professing God, but yeah, internally, mm-hmm. um, it along the lines of doubt. I, I also wonder about. Um, how do you express or invite somebody in uh, on that com- in that conversation with you when you're in a culture where um, maybe it's it's not okay to right. <laughs> to show doubt or to say that you have doubt? And so, what what a what a what a tough spot for some right. of our kids to be in, right? So alone, especially since high school is a time where we're forming our identity. <laughs> it's right? all doubt. Right? I have no clue who I am. Mm-hmm. I have no clue who I am. Right? And I mean, studies are telling us like not until twenty five mm-hmm. does identity really kind of click. Right. That's and the, that means our kids are schizophrenic. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and and as they are in Bible classes, there are questions that are surfacing, um, especially at at our school, which you do not have to be a Christian to attend here. While we teach. Um, and are unashamed of Christian theology, you don't have to be a Christian to attend here. And so they have their friends at like putting seeds of doubt in their, mm. in their minds. They have, we, they have friends, maybe not even seeds of doubt, but asking questions, right? right? That, that don't necessarily go with how they viewed the world, especially our, our kids who grew up in the church, mm. right? When our, our kids who grew up in the church, they hear, um, the whole world was flooded um, during the flood of Noah, and then they have like their atheist friend sitting next to them saying, That's "Well, silly. how did how yeah. did the 
how did the Himalayas get covered, right? right? Prove it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I I think even just to like, to frame the conversation, perhaps um, something that would be important to distinguish is the, the difference between intellectual doubt and existential doubt. Awesome. Right? Awesome. Um, and so when we... I'm, I'm guessing, uh, I'm going to guess you, uh, in your walk, <laughs> have experienced a lot of intellectual doubt. Absolutely. Uh, that would be... Yes. We haven't re- rehearsed this. Right. <laughs> that would be my guess knowing you. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I think, um, I'm not sure how much of my story I've, I've shared, but I, I grew up in a Christian school um, where there was a lot of certainty pushed on me. Mm. Um, and not pushed on me, but taught. And I think that a lot of that can be good, right? And um, knowing why I believe things in Scripture and um, believing that Scripture was a like authoritative to a certain extent, mm. um, and not to a certain extent. Um, I believe that coming out of high school, I believed inerrancy, right? Every last bit of Scripture was perfect, like whether it like grammatically and all of the texts are exactly the same. And then I went mm. to Bible college and studied <laughs> Bible, Wait, and then I actually opened the book, <laughs> right? And then I and then I learned about things like textual art. Artifacts, right? Like the story what's, at the beginning of John chapter 8. What, what is, what's, yeah. You so a textual us. artifact. So this is actually verbiage that I stole from um, J. Warner Wallace um, in his book, Cold Case Christianity. But there is there are things in the text that were probably not written by the original author. Um, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, where it says, for yours is the kingdom and power and glory forever and ever. Amen. That part does not appear in the earliest manuscripts. What the? Yeah. The beginning of the book of... Um, the beginning of John chapter eight, um, the story of the woman caught in adultery, where it's like whoever Dude, doesn't have I sin, love cast, that story it's a too. Beautiful right? yeah, story, yeah. and it, it may have happened, right? Right, and it gives us a fuller picture of Jesus, right? And, but but. It, it's not in the earliest manuscripts, and it shows up in sometimes in the book of Luke um, in some manuscripts, yeah. and it doesn't show up until maybe the fifth century. And so when I learned these things, I thought um, we had a conversation about this the other day. What else did they lie to me about? That's right. Yeah. And I think I think this might be even just for a couple minutes right there. This this might be really important as mm-hmm. we're, we're we're wanting to um, come alongside people and, and help them have these discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you, you'll hear. I think Chris and I talk a lot about um, there. There are things of our Christian family and tradition that have been passed on that that we think. Um, rightfully so, uh, have been passed on, and we should yeah. continue to pass those things on. And um, oftentimes we call those things doctrine. Right. Um, but there are other things that, that seem um, maybe um, less important, but um, sometimes they get communicated or taught in such a way that we're holding so tight to them, um, kind of like maybe this idea of, of inerrancy, the way right. that it was taught to you. And, yeah. and um, when, when we find out or when there's holes in, in that belief statement... Um, oftentimes what happens is our entire kind of theological worldview, our, our yeah. view of, of how God uh, is working, seems to crumble because of that. Right. I, right? I remember a specific moment um, in a class called History of Biblical Interpretation. Um, it actually was so a pretty bad. exciting... A great, it was yeah, a pretty exciting class, despite class. the name. Um, but I remember a fact that I... A quote-unquote fact, an alternative fact, um, <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> that I received in... Um, high school, and it could be just that I was a high schooler not paying close enough attention, um, but I was told that the scribes that copied down scripture could hammer a nail um, into the Bible, and judging by how far the nail went in, they could tell you exactly what letter on what page, um, in what word that nail would be. Um, now, 
the there's a group of scribes called the Masoretes, which were definitely that obsessive mm. about the way that they copied scripture. Um, and they were Jewish scribes, which is why when we look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's incredible fidelity right. to the text we currently have. Um, but the Masoretes didn't exist until after Jesus, Uh-oh. right? So if Uh-oh. we have <laughs> if we have potentially 1,500 years of, of copying down Torah even, mm. um, and uh, scribal tendencies were not the same, then... How could we say that we have the same fidelity, right, to the text? Or yeah. um, I learned about this thing called the Second Temple Hermeneutical Shift, yeah. um, which is just a fancy way of saying that after the First Temple was destroyed, people had to cling to Scripture more than they did to the voice of God, right? Because and, if you don't have the Temple, then you can't go say, "Hey, God, tell me something." You can't go hang out with them. And, and First Temple, just for you know, listeners who are not sitting in our class all the time, or might not know that First Temple was destroyed. Uh, was it five, five eighty six, five eighty seven BC? Nebuchadnezzar, right? Mm-hmm. Babylon, and mm-hmm. okay, so, so that's important. So, so you you grow up hearing the the from Bible school, hearing all these things, um, intentionally, unintentionally learning inerrancy. You get mm-hmm. to Bible college, you start learning all these cool, fancy things that you can now regurgitate on a podcast, right? Uh, and so, what what did that do for you intellectually because yeah. we're, we're, we were getting into like kind of intellectual doubt what, what did that do for you so what it, it's interesting because the intellectual doubt then feeds into existential doubt right mm. um, <laughs> yeah. because my I remember my professor it was about two weeks into the course um, Dr. Bill Yarkin give credit where credit's due um, shout out to Yarkin yeah and he uh, um, he had given us this information about scribal tendencies in the second temple period and all of that and a lot of us Bible school kids um, were starting to panic, thinking, mm. can we trust this book? What's going on in here? And then he said this gem of a line um, in like two weeks into the course, and he said, if it only took two weeks of me giving you information to completely destroy your foundation of your faith, then what was your faith built on? Ooh. Right? Damn. Um, and was that enough to send you into an existential <laughs> spiral? <laughs> well, and and here's what, what I loved about um, my um, biblical studies experience. Yeah. I, I went to school at APU, Azusa Pacific University, and I loved it because I had people around me who were experiencing the same thing mm. to wrestle through those ideas awesome. with. Right? Awesome. Um, whereas I think that if I was like a lot of our kids who go to maybe a um, who go to a public school, who go to a UC school and like take evolutionary biology or something like that, and here a professor makes some sort some of the same challenges, I think that it could be much more damning for them because then they're alone. And they're alone. Yeah, I'm going to um, just kind of just pause that for one second. And, um, you know, in, in terms of talking with students, um, when we – it doesn't have to be students, with adults. Mm-hmm. Man, sometimes uh, you should see the conversations I get with some of my students' parents, right, because they're hearing about yeah. some of the stuff we're talking about. But um, I, I think it's important when we're talking with anybody with doubt um, to recognize, one, that it's normal. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we're hearing that from you as, as a – Biblical studies major. Yeah. I mean, wh- while you are attempting to study, you know, deeper and, and further than maybe the m- most, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're experiencing doubt. And so, um, please hear this loud and clear. Um, not only is doubt normal, um, but I, you know, hopefully, in this podcast we'll, we'll see that doubt can lead to some really good kind of aha moments. But I, I think that you gave kind of a nugget there again that this idea of doing it in community. And, right. Um, one of the phrases I use, and again, I'm sure I stole it from someone just smarter than me, but uh, when any of my students come to me and they're wrestling with doubt, or that maybe they're looking into some uh, some things that you know maybe that the church wouldn't say is um, 
you know, in line with, with, with their doctrine. Um, one of the, the statements I use is, you know, it's important that we, we kind of put a rope around you, mm-hmm. around your waist, and go. Go, go and, and explore and go and ask these questions, but um, do so in such a way that you're doing it in community so that we can, we can assist you if you go mm-hmm. kind of too far in your doubt or in your questioning or if you deconstruct to the point that you're left with nothing. And so, right. I mean, even just, just to pause you in the middle of your story. Yeah. So, so doubt worked okay for you, and part of that reason was community it, it, because of community so and that, that's yeah yeah and i think uh, especially with intellectual doubt i think that there's another like important facet that uh, or caveat that needs to be um discussed is there's a difference between doubt for the sake of doubt right um and doubt for the sake of growth yeah yeah the skeptic i mean the, the doubt for the sake of doubt is the skeptic right, right. Who, who sits back and um for any number of reasons you know their own selfishness or laziness just looks and says well, yeah, but right. right I'm just exactly. constantly, and, and anybody can be a skeptic. It doesn't take really, yeah, much intelligence. Is that rude? <laughs> well, <laughs> sure. Or, or that you don't have to like try constructing anything. Yeah, you can yeah. deconstruct and never construct anything. Yeah. Um, and I noticed that this a lot in. I've noticed this a lot over the last four years as a teacher. Mm. Um, that there are students who their doubt is rooted in, I just don't want to believe it. Mm. Um, whether if it's because it would be really inconvenient because they'd need to make some lifestyle changes, right. or maybe there are some psychological things under the surface that they don't want to face and wrestle. Yeah. And so they're like, some well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so they would rather believe like multi- multiverse theory um, that, that, <laughs> that there's this quantum vacuum or the, the quantum bubbling sea, like burst, like creating these multiverses than like a, uh, an eternal being yeah, that brought that's the universe into existence. Than, uh, yeah. Right. And so they'll, they'll throw out their, their arguments and, and their points. But I, I think we keep coming back to this idea that there's a question behind the question. Right. Yeah. And so I think that even in discussing the issue of doubt is sort of being able to perceive what is the question behind the question mm. is the question because you want to know truth. And as a result, like you're, you're using the doubt, using the wrestle, using the, the questions to get to further and deeper truth, or are we using the doubt and the questions so that we can make the teacher look stupid or make your classmate look stupid or make those silly Christians look stupid? Yeah. Um, because those are two totally different motives, right? And they right. both sound intellectual, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The one, are you familiar with sophism? Mm, you with sophism? I've so heard this- you say that word. Yeah, so there, there, there was this, this group of, of philosophers who, um, and, and if I recall right, I'm dusting off the notes in, in my brain right now from class, but um, they, they were the first group to actually start charging uh, mm-hmm. and accepting money for, for their teaching. But, but sophism really was kind of the use of rhetoric and, and you know, philosophical mm-hmm. discussion, um, but really to push your agenda, whereas before that, philosophy and even rhetoric was, was about... Um, you know, using language and discussion to arrive at a more deeper understanding of truth. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you get this kind of, um, I think you see it a lot, it, the term comes up a lot in politics, where, where people are like kind of saying one thing, but you like, you know that their motive is, is, is usually kind of vain and selfish. And yeah. so you, we see a lot of that with, with skeptics in Christianity that, yeah, it's, the motive is, is pain, you know, or pain aversion, right? right? And, and, and if I'm feeling this, then I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you to do the same and I'll, I'll get there by by attacking you philosophically, which um, that seems kind of like missing the point. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so for, with my own story, I find that um, I was actually hungry for truth. That is why I actually entered into Bible school totally, is because totally. I, wanted, I wanted to know more truth. I wanted yeah. to know God. And as a result, doubt became part of that reality. And I think that what 
like community is really important. Um, and so not just like having other people, but other people who are willing to get in the game with you. Mm. Right. And so I can remember that I had people who would wrestle with me about these things and not like against me, but with me. Um, and so there were some people who like maybe on the more progressive side, like I I had a friend who maybe would self-identify as a Mahayana Buddhist. Um, and we would talk about these things Mm. about scripture and we would talk about reality and the divine and those sorts of things. And then I had other friends who, maybe about eight, nine years back, were Bible teachers at this school that we're currently teaching. Um, And when I would say a a statement like, the Trinity is like irrational, right? (laughs) Um, Or something like that, then they would be ready um, because they were the apologetics type guys. Um, But even though they were apologetics type guys, um, instead of taking the tact of, I need to defeat you Mm. um, and I need to make you feel stupid for not believing what I believe, they used apologetics as a means to say, well, here's how we can think clearly. So um, they were mature and humble. Is that what yes. you're saying? <laughs> I, I, I have um, really enjoyed, we have this conversation, but I've really enjoyed um, that stereotype being broken mm. for me um, and, and coming across uh, a mature and humble apologist who, you know, who does it not, not for the sake of their own winning. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, that, wow, we can actually imagine that. We can actually use logic to arrive at some good conclusions, right? Yes. And yeah, I, it's well, refreshing. Recently, I was, not recently. Like six months ago, recently, that's, six, recently. that's kind it's of all relative compared to the universe. It's, your, it's your truth. <laughs> it's true for me. Um, recently, I was listening to a William Lane Craig podcast, and he was um, he was answering questions from the public, and a person was expressing their disdain at how um, a lot of people will believe just based on blind faith and not Ooh. based on reason, um, and some people aren't responding to reasonable arguments, and sort of like. Um, berating people who do not have the same intellectual prowess as this, like, yeah, good apologist. Yeah, it's kind of arrogant, right? Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I was thinking William Lane Craig as this, like, sound apologist might be a little bit in his cheerleader section, and he essentially refuted this guy and wow. said, no, your heart is wrong, Yep. right? The reason we even do apologetics is not to convince people into the kingdom. It's not to um, argue people into being followers of Jesus, but it's to give them intellectual license so that when the spirit does prod at their hearts, they can say, okay, yeah. I'm not being irrational right now. That I this can make sense. all apologists felt similarly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and so I think with, inte- yeah, with intellectual doubt, with our students experiencing this sort of intellectual doubt, I think that the reason that we wrestle, I think even for me, I need to be reminded of this. The reason that I wrestle with students in their intellectual doubt is not so that I can convince them to be Christians or convince them to go back to my version of orthodoxy, but rather give them the tools that it takes so that when the spirit does move, when Mm. the spirit does speak, when they are guided into when, when God is trying to woo them into his love, into his plan, into his justice, um, all of those things that they would know I'm not crazy. Yeah. Right, that when yeah. the that yeah. this is a reasonable thing. This is and, and maybe normal. Yeah. If and and I mean that in the sense of um, you know, when when we're moving, like Scripture uses the term like going from milk to meat. Like when we're moving to the meat, when we're we are wanting to actually mature uh, in Christ and look more like Him. Um, it, it, there's going to be growing pains. Yeah. There's going to be doubts as we shed kind of our old um, Sunday school maybe version of. 
uh, again, maybe back to the flood or mm-hmm. whatever that may be, um, it's, it's going to come with some doubts, right? right? And it's going to come. And again, man, I'll, I'll emphasize that again. If, if that's not done in community, right. then you're, you're growing on your own. But, but who is there to inspire that growth other than your own maybe fear and doubt, which I don't know. Good luck with that. You'll probably need years and years of counseling. <laughs> yeah. It, what, and, <laughs> right? that, and that's a, another good point is that I think that with like the fear and doubt and the need for counseling, we have <laughs> as teachers, um, I think assessing where students are um, is oftentimes more important than any sort of content that yeah. we can deliver. Yeah. Because there are, if we don't know where our students are at, then the content we might be delivering may one, not be absorbed, but even worse, may harm them. Yeah, right? and, and what a great, um, to continue the analogy from Scripture again, like nourishment and milk and meat. Like, we both have, have young children. Um, I, I, as much as I would love for my daughter, you know, when she was two to eat some ribs and, right. you know, to get just get all messy like that. Like, she's not ready, right? And yeah. so, yeah, we, could, we can actually damage their, their little minds. Yeah. Have you ever experienced doubt? And then um, what does that do? How does that make you feel when you have doubt within your faith? I mean, definitely. Like, I think that everybody experiences doubt. Like, everybody questions, like, their belief in God. Because if you don't, then are you truly on your walk with God? Like, I think that you have to pray about it and, like, like get into your Bible and really read and things like that. Like, it just makes more sense if you talk to God. And then what, what is when you do have doubt... How do you how do you experience that? Like how how does it make you feel? Are there emotions attached to it? I think it's very emotional. I think you feel sad, and you you obviously like don't want to have doubts, and you don't want like you think that you're the only one, but everybody has doubts. I experience doubt a lot, and it makes me feel quite helpless. What do you what do you do with the doubt, or what do you do with the helplessness? I try to find answers, whether it be googling it or asking a discipleship leader. Do you ever have doubts about your faith? And if so, how do you feel when you experience doubt? Um, I don't think I have doubt of my faith. I think it's more of a, I can't find a way to explain it. <laughs> but uh, whenever people ask me, like, how do you believe in God? And um, why do you believe in him? Like, if you can't see him. And it's just like, it's just weird how they like tell you, you know? And um, before, before I started being a Christian, I started thinking the same thing, but I think once I got older and I started realizing things, I'm not gonna tell you what kind of things, but when I started like realizing a bunch of stuff and seeing things in the world, um, that's when I started putting my faith in Christ and that's when I felt something in me, like the Holy Spirit touched me. Um, but no, I really do not have doubts in my faith, so it's like, yeah. Um, I have doubts all the time, but that doesn't necessarily, first of all, mean that that's necessarily a bad thing. For me personally, um, when I doubt, it causes me to want to wrestle and, and, and search more for answers. Um, personally, uh, it, it, it kind of makes me want to understand God more because He's this three part being, which is kind of just that itself gives room for doubt. So. For me to be able to understand that part and be able to wrap my head around how he works, for well, to some extent, um, that that kind of helps me be able to kind of nullify that doubt.
So how, how do you how do you assess where maybe a student is at? And and you've also brought up um, a little a while back about when students are asking questions. One of the things that we we really attempt to do is is try to listen for that question behind the question. Right. Like, um, the way that I would say it, that in in Wayne lingo, you know, might be like kind of what what is your heart saying, right? Yeah. What what is where what is this perspective that's coming from? So so when you're dealing with that, because you do that well, um, and I often actually send. Kids who are in intellectual crisis and doubt, I often send them to you because mm-hmm. um, um, I, I, I didn't wrestle as much with the intellectual side as much as the existential side. So how do you do that? How do you do the assessment? How do you listen for their hearts? Um, yeah, what does that look like? Yeah, I think a lot of it just comes with relationship um, and knowing them. If, yeah. if I'm just looking at a room of, of 20 students that I don't really know, then I can't. I right. mean, I, I simply can't. I'll, You're I'll, just I'll, teacher. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll do my best to differentiate. I'll do my best to try to hit everybody in the room. But mm. um, that's just based on past experience. And there's bound to be some people in the room who feel like this and bound to be some that feel like that. Um, but actually being able to get to the question under the question comes from being observant um, yeah. as a teacher. And, and when I say being observant, I don't mean just the things that they write in their homework assignment or the things they say. Just staring at them. Right. <laughs> but like when, when I say a certain thing about God, what does the body language yep. look like? Yeah. Um, what, how, do, how do they respond when I present an argument for God's existence? Do they tune in um, or they shut down? Um, when I say something about the character of God, what happens to mm. them, right? Um, and, and from all of that data, if we use... If we use posture and attitude and questions and um, all of those sorts of things as data to feed um, how we interact with our classes, then we can be more responsive as teachers um, and hopefully not do damage. Yeah. Um, the, <clears throat> something we cite a lot is James 3.1, which says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Man, yeah, scares the bejesus out of me. And I think um, what's interesting is right out of college, um, I applied for a teaching job at a different Christian school, and I got turned down um, because I was too, uh, I guess, radical or progressive in some views. That wasn't the school I was working at. That was a different school. That was a different school, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, But I'm so glad that Mm. I didn't get that job because I didn't understand this yet. Um, I didn't understand that the doubts and the questions and the wrestling that I came out of college with are not good for high schoolers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, to- totally. And I, I think, um, this, this might resonate with, I mean, I'm sure it resonates with us, but maybe people listening too. like, there is this kind of idea of, you know, there's, there's nothing more harmful, uh, and you can kind of fill in the blank, but, uh, you know, a first year seminary student, a right. first year apology, apologetics student, right. uh, first year medical student, first year law student, like you get this information, it's new to you, you're wrestling, the assumption is everybody around you needs to hear it, right. they need to go through this stage of life that yep. you're currently going through, and woe to us, right? right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm guilty of that, for mm. sure, I've done it. And, yeah, yeah and it's unfortunate. Absolutely, and I, I think that there have been... <clears throat> There, a, a concept that has been really helpful to me lately, um, my, my wife had a book recommended to her um, called Falling Upward by Richard Rohr. Yeah. Um, and it talks about – one of the things he talks about is the first half of life and the second half of life. Um, and there's usually some sort of transitional experience in the middle. Um, and he talks about how important – like the goal is second half of life, um, essentially – 
mature faith, yeah, right? And playing, playing the game a little differently. Right, I exactly. think in our culture, we call it midlife crisis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I absolutely. like Richard Rohr's take a little bit more. Right, and, know, and after... The gla- glass is half full. <laughs> right, exactly. Afterwards, um, you you have a more... Your, your mind is a little bit more open. You're much less defensive. You are able to interact with the divine in a more accepting and loving way. Um, Probably in a more, you know, for lack of a better term, mystical way too. Sure. Like there is that certainty uh, yeah. growing up that, you know, we know everything. Absolutely. This is the way that God works. But one of of the things I love, though, is he doesn't just say, let's all rush to the second half of Mm. life, because it is absolutely necessary for us to build up those structures of certainty. I mean, even if it kind of seems crazy that we're building them up so they can be deconstructed later. I've found that the students who have who gain the most benefit from the doubt in the questioning are the students who have had the the upbringing and the knowledge base to firmly establish that foundation yeah. so that when that foundation is shaken and jackhammered and destruct like deconstructed yeah. there there's much more out of that ground that can grow yeah, and, um, they, and they know they want it. Right. You know, you know what yeah. I mean? As opposed to the one who's searching to disprove. Right, exactly. Yeah. Whereas, it, So if we start with deconstruction, if we start with doubt, if we start with uncertainty, um, then I find that that just really messes up their minds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that really, not, not just their minds, but their hearts, that all of reality is unpredictable and uncertain. They're... Like even the idea that that God is benevolent and loving, like how can they believe that sort of <laughs> right. thing if there's no? Which is kind of if, our other form of doubt, right? Exactly, his, so, his character. So maybe let's. I, I think that these two two are kind of connected, but so maybe let's go exploring there I, yeah. with with the existential doubt because I find sure. that um, I I have experienced less of this, more of like my my battles have been like, man, I just can't believe that the Earth is X amount of years old, right. or man, I just right. can't believe that, or man, it's hard to believe that. What does it look like to be an immaterial, timeless? consciousness, right? Or, or whatever that means. Yeah. Um, so existentially, um, when you, students are in crisis, right? When, when they are doubting, not because of some sort of um, intellectual proposition, but when they're doubting because of their parents are splitting yeah, emotion up. Emotion and crap is hitting the fan. Right. How, <laughs> what does that look like to be teacher in those moments? Man, uh, I can tell you what it's not. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and, and it's 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 not the intellectual appeal. Yeah, I, I, I'm 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 convinced. Uh, I, I've seen it too much. I've um, I've contributed to that in the past. I've mm-hmm. I've had others um, attempt to use that tactic with me. Mm-hmm. And um, man, when I'm putting myself well, when I've been there, and then when I'm trying to empathize and put myself in the shoes of my student. Um, I, I find myself using a, a, a disclaimer over and over, you know, when they'll ask some of these questions. I, I, it happened yesterday with some ninth graders. Hmm. And, and one of my, my students um, was basically this idea of if God is good, right, hmm. then why? And, and, you know, ultimately we're getting to the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could see, you mentioned body language, I, I can see this kind of emotional right. um, kind of question. And so there's something deeper there. And so I, I told her, you know, I, I can give you the logical. I, I, can, right. I can tell you the answer, you know, that, that the apologist might give you, right, or the professor might give you, but it's not going to do anything for your heart. Right. Um, and even even um, part of yesterday's conversation was like, again, I can give you an answer, but if you're talking to an atheist or if you're coming from that perspective right now, you're not going to like this answer either. This isn't the one that's going to right. win people over to thinking differently about life. And, you know? and I think the problem of evil is very pertinent because 
oftentimes when, when students enter into some sort of existential doubt, it is because of the problem of evil. That right. is, if God is good and all-powerful... Then, then why is my aunt in the hospital? Or right. why are we burying my aunt or yeah. my mom? Or why did this kid just got in a car accident and he, yeah. was, he was the good one? Of all people, why did this... Yes. Right. And talking about reading body language, <laughs> there are the student, especially in Christian school, there is there is a contingent of students who uh, have been sort of untouched by evil. Yep. Right. That that they have been very well sheltered, and like we can debate later about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But they've been sheltered. Must be nice. Yeah. For a little while. Right. But life's coming. Right. I mean, that's. I mean, Scripture tells us that. Yeah. Ecclesiastes tells us that it's coming. It's mm-hmm. coming for everybody. Yeah. And and. If if the intellect is not going to to shake you, because you got hit with some data or so you know right. some new study, um, then the emotion is going to get you. You, you are going to experience hell on earth, right. whatever that. And I do think that that's subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, what that looks like for you, you are going to experience that, and you are going to be face to face with your own theology. You're mm-hmm. going to be face to face with your own worldview, where you say, "Do do I actually believe this? I right. sing these songs." I hear these messages, uh, especially if we're having still have that baby kind of, um, you know, Sunday school view of all of Scripture. Right. Everything's supposed to be hunky dory. Where is this beautiful, sweet, you know, Jesus who's going to comfort me? Um, no, I'm going through hell. My friends are going through hell. My family's going through hell. How in the world can God then be any of the right. um, the characteristics that we attribute to Him, or He attributes to Himself? Yeah, and the reason <laughs> and the reason that I, I bring up that contingent though yeah. is in the classroom. I've noticed that when I try to deal um, with the emotional, when I try to like help the students who are experiencing existential doubt, that contingent of students rolls their eyes. Yep, because they don't they haven't experienced it. Um, and for them, I found that the intellectual is the important question because right. like starving people on the other side of the earth is a it's a philosophical <laughs> argument, right. not real right. human beings. Yeah, it's a number. It's a piece right. of data on a screen. But as teachers, I, I think that it's important to understand like that we still have a responsibility to those students, right? Like we, so whether they are in the middle of whatever sort of disaster going on at home um, or on social media, whatever sort of existential thing that they are experiencing, um, we need to be there for them. Um, But also for the ones who haven't experienced anything, who roll their eyes at the loving God, how do we, how do we deal with them? Yeah. Well, um, so everything we've said so far, so I'm not reiterating yeah. <laughs> just absolutely everything. But so um, I, I think it starts um, – I'll, I'll, I'll share my formula. Sure. <laughs> so um, the one is is to listen um, as empathetically as possible um, to and – and I've learned this from some great mentors in my life as well. But just, just, to, just to start with, wow, that sucks. Yeah. Yep, you're right. Yep, that sucks. I, I have no rebuttal. I have no, um, I'm not going to tell you that your experience is wrong. You're, you're looking at it wrong. And, and how often do kids come and talk to us, especially if they maybe have like kind of a, a depressive kind of lens of the world? Like I could very easily say, well, you know, you're just being pessimistic, right? Right. It's probably not going to solve anything. Yeah. Um, and so just acknowledging where, where they're at. And, and, and I think that that's huge. So validating the other person's experience is probably a good, a yeah. good place to start. Um, I also, this is a great place for me to, to say also what it's not. Mm-hmm. And um, for um, those of you who are pursuing um, Jesus uh, as, you know, the, 
the, the person guiding your life and you want to look like and you want to be human like him. Um, there's a couple of things that I think we should stop saying. So yeah. um, when kids do come and they maybe it's well, I'll use death. You know, maybe they're experiencing death for the first time. A family member close to them is dying. Um, this idea that it is all a part of God's plan, mm. um, or something you know along the lines of uh, you know God will only give you what you can handle. Um, mm. Let's just raise our right hands right now and swear that we'll stop doing that. It yeah. seems like we're perpetuating some some. Hallmark Christianity crap, right. um, and and I, I think um, having gone through some of these crises myself, I know you've been through some as well, and in receiving that from people, I think what they mean to say is, "Wow, you're going through hell," and I don't know what to say, so bleh, they yeah. kind of throw up some Christianese on us. Um, probably not a good place to start. Um, if, if anything, that's probably more damning. Right, and what um, that ends up doing is saying, God did this to you. Yeah, God did this to you. And, I mean, even this idea that, you know, God will only give you what you can handle, well, then why do I need God? Right. Um, you're not really helping me. You're, you're saying that all my answers are within, and, and, you know, that could be another podcast too. But right. So, 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 so empathy, um, uh, validation of the experience, um, not offering up some Christianese, maybe the idea of just kind of sitting with them a little mm-hmm. bit, um, sitting in that awkward tension with mm-hmm. them a little bit. Uh, and this is a hard for me. I'm, I'm a talker. I'm a verbal processor. I I love restoration. I want to fix right away. And so mm-hmm. there, I have a, that tendency to want to try to fix them right away. But I think just being the, the adult soundboard sometimes where mm-hmm. they can they can just bring that to you. I think that in and of itself, and, and think about what we said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, uh, this idea of oftentimes with doubt and fear comes this this false idea that I'm also alone and I'm the only one experiencing it. Yeah. Um, so, so intentionally creating that space where it's safe, yeah. um, whether that's through my, my body language or my actual words. Um, from there, sometimes I think it's important if um, – they can glean any sort of wisdom from our existential crisis, right. um, and not where we flip the whole story where it's about us, but mm-hmm. but in, in an attempt to make that bridge, like, oh, you know what, man, I went through that again last year, right. or I remember going through that, and man, there, there's this. Um, we need to really be careful as adults when we're talking that way mm-hmm. that it doesn't come across super lofty. Right. Like almost patronizing, like, oh, yeah, I remember that stage of life. And I, right. I do that, and I clown some kids. <laughs> right. right? Or, or it, it can even come across as like, oh, I made it through it, you'll make it through it, whatever. Yeah, Right, which I'm sure people told me that when I was in my dark night of the soul for about a decade. Right. Um, and I don't remember it. Yeah. So I, I can at least say it might not be the most effective tactic, right? Right. So, so I mean, if you're hearing that, it's, just, it's relationship. We've said it. it's relationship. It's hearing their heart. It's being empathetic. Um, but then it's assessing, and I think you mentioned that it's assessing what what is the foundation. Hmm. Where is the the foundation? So if, if if a student is not even sure they're on board with God, um, then sometimes moving right into the God solution sounds it, it is interpreted from them as just more christianese right and like ugh, this is what i expe- i expected you to say those things right. um and even if those things are true i want to make sure that that we're 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 saying that like even if those things are true there is a time and place and, and I, mm-hmm. you mentioned that as well even with some of the knowledge and information yeah um so if that's the case but if i got a student who who is is firmly rooted in christianity well <laughs> um 
I, I think we can start looking at, instead of focusing on the negative and the bad, I think what, what I would usually do is we start to look at what, what do we know to be true about God? Um, and not just intellectually know, um, but what do we know anecdotally to be true about God? Where have you experienced his, his goodness? Um, where has he showed up in the past where you can trust him? Maybe it's a story from their family. Right. Maybe it's not something that they've actually experienced, but you know, you get them talking like, yeah, this one time, you know, we, my parents did this and they prayed and they told me about it. And so we want to reinforce maybe some of his character. Yeah. And we even see that, that laid out in the lament Psalms, like, um, mm. the, the largest category of Psalms in the book of Psalms <laughs> right. is the lament. Where um, are you? God? Yeah. Where are you, God? How long yeah. um, will you not listen to me? Um, but what I love about the lament Psalms is the vast majority of them spend uh, 90% of it talking about how terrible things yeah. are and talking about how awful things are, but there's always and this then there's turn. a but, right? Then there's, there's a, a but, but at the end. But that says, you, God. But you are good. Yep. And I put my trust in you, right? Yeah. And so... What we want to make sure is that I think when we do the Christianese thing, what we do is we skip the first 90% of the lament, mm. right? We don't let people grieve. We don't let people lament. And we go straight to, but God is good, right? Um, right, which but, is a really cheap, it's a really, really cheap gospel message that we're right. selling when we do that. Because yeah. we're, we're, we are unintentionally telling students to only only access God or, or, or approach God with that if we're being honest, that fake part of you that is putting up the front. Whereas we go back to um, this this beautiful prayer of the Jews, right? Uh, Shema in, in Hebrew, to listen, to hear in Deuteronomy 6.4. Like to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart. Yeah. And I'm going to stop there. And we, we, we know that there's more there, but all of our heart, mm-hmm. the parts of our heart that are wounded and angry, um, when you come home at night, if you've had a bad day and your heart, part of your heart is broken for whatever reason, your wife doesn't tell you to leave the bad part of your heart outside right. when you walk in the house. It's yeah. like, no, it's all of you because she's made that covenant, that, that commitment to you. Mm-hmm. And so the creator God has asked that we would approach him with all of our heart. Yeah. And thank you. 90% of my heart sometimes is lament. Right. When, when I was going through hell and you, you, you've gone it through as well, like there's not much of my heart that is like wants to do... Um, you know, lollipops and, and, and double Dutch with, right. <laughs> with, with God, right? Does that make yes. you know what I mean? And so, yeah. yeah. So even, even, even acknowledging and telling them that's okay, yeah. like God can handle that. Like he actually yeah. wants that, right? The real you is far more interesting than the fake public persona you've created. Yeah. And so <laughs> we, we have, we've covered some of this intellectual and existential doubt and how to navigate that with students. But I guess, I think one commonly overlooked area is when you are in a position of, of teacher or leadership, like we are not immune to doubt. Ah, yeah. yeah, What do we do? (laughs) Right. We are not, we are not exempt from uh, questions, from doubting, from our own exploration. And so, so we should just share that with our students and and use them as a soundboard, right? Right. For our own tension. Get in front of our ninth grade Bible classes and say, here's what I'm wrestling with about. So you were in my class yesterday? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, w- well, then, how about this? Yeah. How do we not repress mm. um, or put up a facade or be inauthentic, right? Because I think that that's one of the things that turns people off is yep. that we are we as Christians are fake. So yep. how do we continue to be authentic and real with our experience and who we are while also trying to be strategic and wise with the people who are under us? What does that look like? 
Well, I think you start a podcast for your outlets. <laughs> that you're gonna, no, um, I think that's it. I, I think recognizing um, the conversation and, and that that seems to be mm-hmm. a a really kind of neat movement in our in, in the church right now in the body of Christ that yeah. that there are conversations that are being had um, that are needed mm-hmm. um, that are. Um, they might lead to, to some some new aha moments with God and within within the church family, but to not be afraid of the conversation. Right. Um, one of the things you mentioned um, growing up, and, and and I, you know, I affirm this as well in my experience, um, is we we grew up with a lot of um, certainty in areas that maybe we we can't be too certain, mm. um, and um, so I think having conversations where we maybe uh, we reclaim. Um, the wonder and awe of who God is, mm-hmm. that he can handle our doubts, and that, that if we have doubts, it's okay. Yeah. And so, man, gosh, even just being honest with ourselves to say, I don't know, yeah. and to be willing to say that to uh, another human being that maybe is in a similar stage of life as you, right. and, and then to be able to exemplify that for other people, like, I don't know. Man, yeah. we should talk about that. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, should, we should wrestle through that. And to know that actually the the... the the group that God picks in, in, in the biblical story is the Israelites. Yeah. These are people who sat around and argued and debated and wrestled with, with the words, and mm. they wrestled with God, and um, sometimes they really sucked at it. Yeah. Uh, they made bad decisions, but they kept wrestling, and life goes on. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, I think maybe to summarize that, don't take yourself so serious. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I think part of it is this is probably one of the most daunting parts, right? Because it, I think sometimes as teachers, we can feel like in our classroom, we have our own little island of safety. Mm. Um, and as a result, like we can do things in our classrooms. But then when we go talk to another Bible teacher, when yeah. we go talk to to our principal, when we talk to those people, then there's a little bit more posturing, right? Yeah. There's a little yeah. bit more like Play the game a little. Yeah. Oh, you know, like everything is good and God is great. Um, have you ever wondered that like even the way that we have to phrase like yeah. doubt and question sometimes is um, we have to be gentle with it. Yeah. Um, but what I've observed. That's hard sometimes. Yeah. But what I've observed <laughs> is that that cultures are created. Mm. Right. Um, I think sometimes we can we can say the culture is like this at our school um, and then we can wail and bemoan it. Um, but the culture is created by the people, right? Right, And if we are people in our school faculties, um, then we can start to cultivate cultures of trust, cultivate cultures of authenticity, of realness. Um, so that what I have found is that when I open up and I'm real, um, that, um, I have other people who then say, yeah, me too. But in a different way, like not no yeah. one, ha- no one's going to have the same exact journey as you, right? But, but even you- just 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 confessing to another, I mean, that's not be confessing, just being honest, right? Right. Just being honest and like, yeah, that's that's an area of tension. Yeah. Um, I had, a, and I, maybe that's the way. I, I think that's one of the ways I frame it a lot. I hear mm-hmm. you use that. One of my mentors said it all the time. He would always ask me, Wayne, where's your tension at? Yeah. Where's your tension at in your theology? And and what he was doing was normalizing tension. Right. He was creating a new culture to say, hey, if you're pursuing God, if you're pursuing this this divine, holy other. Um, there's going to be times where you're going to fail miserably or you're going to have doubts and fears. And to acknowledge it and say, where is that going on today? Mm. What a healthy thing. Because we're saying, yep. yep. And, and his, he would actually, if I, when I would tell him, like, oh, I don't have tension, oh, man, I'd get smacked around. You know, I mean, <laughs> oh, so you're not pursuing God. Oh, yeah. so you're not pursuing truth. If, if right. you think that you've arrived, 
Uh, and this is a guy who thinks totally different than me. I mean, his right. interpretation of Scripture, we, 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 we disagree in a lot of things, um, but we, we still come back to God, right? right. And we, we don't get divorced over it. And he shows me and exemplifies that for me, that, that tension is good. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's part of it, too, is, is letting adults and our students know, like, oh, it's good that you have tension. Right. I'm not going to give you that answer. Maybe I do know the answer. I'm not going to give it to you. Right. Uh, let, let's have some tension. Let's wrestle together. What do you think? Why do you think you're going through this? Yeah. Why do you, you know... Um, and yeah. yeah, and I think that the more we normalize it, right? And I, I think that depending on your context, um, uh, you might need to tiptoe into normalizing it. It might need to start with, what do you think about blank? It might have to start with some of that, like that posturing at your, with your, at your small table at your faculty yeah. meeting or whatever. Um, but as the authenticity grows, then what I've discovered is that I even remember a few months ago at our Bible department meeting, um, there's like five of us sitting there around a table um, and we were just taking prayer requests and I was able to sort of share and be like, yeah, this is something that I'm struggling with. This is something that I don't, um, I was talking about how I, I, I don't really know how to be happy, yeah. um, <laughs> which is like something I was working through like both theologically and psychologically. Um, but because that kind of culture of understanding of, of wrestling had been cultivated like when i said that it wasn't like oh my gosh this is awkward now that right because there are those cultures where it's like we don't know what to do with that right well it's it's a part of god's plan yeah exactly (laughs) he'll never give you more than you can handle right (laughs) yeah what a what a what a lie yeah and so uh, i I guess if if there's one major takeaway it's that with doubt well i feel like at the end of every podcast the takeaway is don't be afraid um but how yeah, don't be afraid of the conversation, <laughs> yeah. sure. But how, how often when, when God approaches humans, that's his first response, right? Fear not. <laughs> um, or even in 1 John 4, there is no fear in love, yeah. right? And so if we love our students, if we love our faculty members, if we love our family members and the parents at our schools and our administrators and the churches around us, and if we love all of those people, then, then doubt and questions and authenticity are not things that we need to be afraid of. Yeah, we don't need to run away from them, yeah. right? I mean, these are these are all they're all a part of it. And right. and so, yeah, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to have these conversations. Know that doubt is normal. Uh, and know that you can you can have the conversations and that the conversation um, isn't necessarily contingent upon you having the right answer. Right. And I think that might even be a takeaway that I, I would want people to hear is when someone comes to you at doubt, um, the weight of the, of, <laughs> of the world and this person's salvation, however you're interpreting that situation, is, is not um, solely on your shoulders. Right. Um, we, we have a good God who has dealt with this. I mean, the oldest book in the Bible, Job, is dealing with some doubt and some fear and the problem of evil, mm-hmm. and it doesn't give us an answer. Right. It doesn't give us the definitive answer we're looking for. And so human beings have been wrestling with this forever. So so keep wrestling. And and, and even in that story, God commends Joel or Job for, for wrestling. Right. You know, so so wrestle. Have tension. Where's your tension at? And 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 be okay with it. Yeah. So yeah. so let's may we take a, a a page out of the book of Job and live that in our lives um, and create spaces of authenticity and realness um, with ourselves and others, whether that means being silent um, with those who are existentially struggling or intellectually sparring um, with those who are experiencing intellectual doubt and create those spaces and be unafraid. Amen. Amen.